so that he could hold my crozier behind me the entire time. Um, having just recently retired, I know that he probably needs to sit, given his... <laughs> Actually, he's really quite active. I, I, um, he, he, he has his own garden. He, he keeps bees. Uh, you, you know what? Before I get started in the sermon, I've got to tell you. He keeps bees. And, and um, one day, his neighbor, um, he's, just, he's just the epitome of calmness when dealing with people. I really... Not really. But um, a neighbor came up and said, uh, you know, Mr. Nordstrom, one of your bees stung me. And Mark was like, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that. I mean, I'm, I'm, it happens from time to time. He says, no, what are you going to do about it? Mark says, well, I, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it just kind of happens. One of your bees stung me, and what are you going to do about it? Obviously, wanting Mark to get rid of his bees. Mark just looked at him and says, well, I'll tell you what. Show me which one it was, and I'll punish him. <laughs> anyway. I also noticed that since I was here last time, some things have changed. I guess after I was here last time, you had to burn that pulpit that was over there, right? You, I, it was, I set it on fire when I was preaching, and it just put it to ashes. And, and uh, In 2002... A book called The Purpose Driven Life, a devotional book written by Christian author and, and pastor Rick, uh, Rick Warren. It was published by Zondervan. Now, the book topped the Wall Street Journal bestseller charts, as well as publishers' weekly charts, with over 30 million copies sold in 2007. Uh, the Purpose Driven Life was also on the New York Times bestseller list for a, an incredible 90 weeks. Now, if you're not familiar, have any, any of you read The Purpose Driven Life? Yeah, okay. You're, you're going to be embarrassed now when we, <laughs> don't let your neighbor know that you raised your hand. Um, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm only serious. Um, the book offers readers a 40-day personal spiritual journey um, and, and presents what Warren says are God's five purposes for human life on earth and describes itself as kind of a blueprint of living for the 21st century. Now, he asked the question, what am I on earth for? And the five points that he brings up is purpose one, you were planned for God's pleasure, which is worship. Uh, two was you were formed for God's family, which is fellowship. Um, number three, you were created to become like Christ, which is discipleship. By the way, if you're trying to take notes, don't. Um, purpose number four, if you were shaped for serving God, ministry. Um, and purpose five, you were made for a mission or mission. Now, in later versions of the book, additional chapters were added, uh, giving the two biggest reasons as to why Christians don't live purpose-driven lives. And those two reasons are envy and people-pleasing. Okay? Now, I don't know that I've envied too many people, but all preachers are people-pleasers. We want to be able to get up here into the pulpit every, every, every week and, and deliver something meaningful to every person in the pew. We know it's not possible, but that's really our heart's desire. Um, you may be a people pleaser within your work. You know, you feel that you're being evaluated. But um, uh, being a people pleaser versus a God pleaser was, I think, kind of the place in the direction that Rick was going, and he's spot on with that. Now, before I go much further, um, I do have to admit to you that I've never read the book. Now... I'm not sure why I didn't read it. Uh, maybe it's because everybody else was, and I wasn't interested in following the crowd. Um, 
or it might have been because in 2002, I was already certain that a return to the historical communion, namely the Anglican Church, garnered, a garnered in me a distrust for really anything yet kind of like another devotional fad coming from the evangelical megachurch telepreachers. Nationally at the time, we were still reeling from 9-11, where nearly, or almost 2,996, I was going to say nearly 3,000, but it was 2,996 people died, over 6,000 seriously injured. Personally in my life, my wife Connie and I, we, we were still dealing and facing um, the recurrence of a very serious medical issue in our eldest daughter and her just having gotten out of her senior year in high school and moving into her first year of college. So perhaps at that time I had every confidence um, that I knew my life had purpose, uh, to be a husband to my wife, to be a father to my daughters, um, to be a warrior for my nations, to be a servant of God. All of that was more than enough purpose for me. Besides, as a warrior, I was pretty leery. And I know we've got some warriors here this morning, and so they're going to they're gonna appreciate this. I'm pretty leery of anything that appears to be dumb, different, or dangerous. I'd seen enough mega televangelists that I knew I just really didn't want to taste time listening to this one telling me answers about my life when I didn't really have questions. And, and quite frankly, in the case of Rick Warren, he just seemed a, a bit too comfortable in the limelight for my taste. Now, I have met him since. I don't like all the things that he does. Uh, but there's no question that his heart is set on God. So don't anyone walk away from here thinking I'm criticizing Rick Warren. But interestingly, I'm, I'm also to understand from some notable theologians who have read the book, because remember, I haven't. They report that his book says nothing about repentance. It says nothing about the spiritual warfare you and I encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. It says really nothing about the church, which I guess I really shouldn't expect since he's an evangelical not associated with kind of the church. Um, and, and Jesus is, is somehow presented as simply the provider and the receiver of charitable love. That's really kind of the essence, love. Hmm. Now, I know all of you remember the last sermon I gave here when I, when I mentioned love, right? You all remember that? You, you all? Okay, well, I know some of you may be confused. F Father Ben, can you come up and just give a real quick synopsis <laughs> of my... It's about Jesus. Yeah. Sin, I'm against it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, what I did, I, for those that don't remember, let me try to rekindle, which, for those who don't, which would be everyone here, except my wife who has heard the sermon a thousand times. <laughs> I mentioned to you that the God is love is not the essence of our theology. It's not the essence of our understanding of God. I said that if love was the entering argument, then anything and everything becomes permissible. Homosexuality, pedophilia, thievery, even cannibalism, if you remember the example that I gave. Some of you are nodding your heads, remembering the sermon. Ben is not, which disappoints me. <laughs> Anything becomes permissible because if God is love, then he made us and therefore he accepts us for who we are and therefore I can do anything because God's going to love me regardless. I pointed out to you that in fact the real essence of theology and the real essence of understanding God is comes from scripture that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're to understand who God is, we have to fear him. 
If we're to understand and want to have wisdom, fear is the place that we start. Now, is there any question that God has love for us? No, there's not. But the, but the fear of the Lord is where it all starts. By the way, I'm glad all of you remembered that sermon. Um, but as I prepared for this ordination and considered the role that Jesus, excuse me, Chewy, <laughs> will play eventually as a military chaplain, I had to ponder a new sermon. And in one of my better intellectual moments, it seemed to me that Chewy had a purpose-driven life, that call, a purpose-driven life. Don't you agree? Yeah. It seemed good to me and that I felt like I could play off Warren's book title for this sermon. After all, he admits the whole idea that purpose-driven life phrase was kind of taken from somebody else anyway, so I'm not really plagiarizing his words. I'm playing, plagiarizing some unknown person who inspired 90 million copies of the book. I'm hoping that my sermon will at least reach about 100 people today. <laughs> so I sat down and I began to put my thoughts together. And, and here's something you may not know about writing sermons. The minute you sit down, you pray this, and I mean you really pray this, God, give me inspiration because I have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> and you pray that God will give you inspiration. Is this not right? You pray that God will give you inspiration because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And sometimes God does because he's got a clear message, but sometimes he makes the person writing that sermon put together everything from scratch. Until finally he reveals at the end, hey, thanks for the work. This is what I want you to say. Has that happened? Does that happen? It happens every time. And so you sit down. Come on, God, just give me this one, okay? Well, on this particular day, I didn't necessarily feel like I needed that inspiration. I felt like I had kind of a good intellectual start, the purpose-driven life. I've got a man that's called to ministry. He's a former company commander. He's a Marine. He's the epitome of the vision of what we think our military is. He's big. He's strong. He's ugly. He's all <laughs> everything we want to intimidate the enemy. So as I considered the sermon that I would be charging to Jesus, to a purpose-driven life, there was a little bit of an uneasiness that settled over me. And then I heard the question, and it came to me. And, and as soon as it came to me and I heard this question, I knew I was in trouble. And boy, when I heard that question, it was just bubbling up. Oh, I suppose you want to know what that question was. <laughs> the question was this. Is it really about life? Is it really about life? Some of you are already, already writing your own sermon right now. Is everything that I'm going through in this place, is that what this is all about? The Holy Spirit said, is it really about life? And I am answered immediately, well, no, but it is about his role in life. And then I heard the question again, Derek, is it really about life? I thought a moment, I said, well, no, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel message that comes out of his life. I'm still trying to let God talk God into letting me do the servant about the purpose-driven life for Jesus. Well, obviously, I didn't know the right answer because I heard the voice again. Is it really about life? And in total frustration, I'm in my office. If anybody had been around, they would have thought I was mad. And I shouted out, no, it's about Jesus' death 
and resurrection. And satisfied that I'd finally come to the conclusion the Holy Spirit wanted me to come to, I sat down and heard the question, is it really about life? Wait a minute, didn't I just give you a good enough answer? Is it really about life? And it kept ringing through my head like the bell that calls to prayer. It just, it just kept going on and on. If it's, if it's, if it's about his role, if it's about, if it's about life, it's about Jesus, what, what is it? I thought I had the right answer. Did, does that not sound like the right answer to you? It seems to me that we as Christians, that's kind of what we focus on. Why wouldn't that be the right answer? Riddle me this, Batman. What, what do you have, Holy Spirit, that you want me to hear? Now, don't get me wrong here. There is one pivotal event to which all believers look to define them as Christian. And that event is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, if you're here because you know Chewy and you don't know this story, I promise you, you've heard it. And if you struggle with it and you fight with it and you think somehow you're not needing it as a crutch, we're talking about a, a, a Jesus who willingly went and as we celebrate this Easter season, willingly laid down his life. His life. And there's a lot of things that we can teach and help you understand, but let me, let me make this very crystal clear. There is a God, and he came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ and became man, and he died so that you could have life. It's not fiction. It's not unreasonable. I'm telling you, the most smart people in the world are all Christians. The smartest book writers are all Christians. Without, without it, we have no chance of gaining salvation, no chance of having a relationship with God, no help in changing our sinful lives or moving our heart. This valuable sequence, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ... And what he accomplished on the cross is everything that we are as a church. But knowing this was about an ordination of one man today, they kept asking the question, but is it really about life? Well, at that point, the mathematician in me kicked in. I was a math major, believe it or not. If you ask an if statement, there's a then prognosis. If, then. And so one of the things that you have to do in mathematics is this, if it's an if-then, you have to prove the negative. And so all of a sudden, the question came to me, and as though I were kind of mocking the Holy Spirit, I said, well, I guess, is, is it all about the purpose-driven death? And the Spirit was silent. Is it really about death? All of a sudden... As I sat there and I heard nothing, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable. It's odd. Then all of a sudden it was like the lights in the room just started to get brighter. And I looked down at the text opened up before me and I focused in on these words from John. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I read it again. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Again, the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. 
It's not about life at all. It's about death. And all of a sudden, the floodgates opened up. Matthew 16, 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans 6, 2. We have died to sin. Romans 6, 3. You were baptized into death. Colossians 3, 3. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Romans 6, 6. The old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. 1 Corinthians 5, 14. God, Christ, came to earth that he might die for all. Therefore, all shall die in him. Romans 6, 7. Anyone who has died shall be freed from sin. Romans 6, 8. Died with Christ, alive with him. 2 Timothy 2.11, if we died with him, we also live with him. 6.11 from Romans, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ through Jesus, or alive in God through Jesus. Romans 7.4, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Galatians 2.19, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians 2.20, you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. Have you heard enough? Romans 7.6, by dying to once, we are bound, we are now released from the law. Colossians 1.22, you were reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. Okay, I'll stop. Colossians 2.12, you were buried with him in baptism, raised with him through the faith and the power of God. More than 400 times, depending upon what translation of the Bible, death is associated with your life and mine. Christ's life for us. Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have died in the flesh with all its passions and desires. You see, to be super, to, to, by supernaturally entering into a death, we discover a tangible and powerful separation from the rest of the world, that which is flesh and that which is temporary. Our purpose in finding a full life is found in a purpose driven death. This purpose driven death of our Lord of our Lord it not only rescued us at the time so that we might have salvation but it has properties that are timeless and serve as our example as how we are to follow Christ. Let me draw another example for you. I'm just to, just just for those that aren't quite following yet. You go to a marriage and what do you hear? How the husband is to love the Christ? Or excuse me, love the wife. They're to love them how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Actually, knowing I have other military people here, let me give you just, let you know I'm a fighter pilot. I'm, I'm a visible example of God's comedy. Putting a fighter pilot in charge of a bunch of ministers. Whew. Pray for them. You may not know this, but I spent 27, almost 28 years in the military. For every year I was in the military, I had one close friend die. The first was Ken Kublins, my classmate, who with his IP, Todd DeHaan, who had become a friend. He was my IP. 
on October 7th, 1984 at 1.08 in the afternoon, slamming into a farmer's field as I and my wife watched. You see, we were all outside seeing it happen. That's not supposed to happen. It didn't happen during any of the times I practiced the sermon, I promise you. You can ask my wife and family. I don't do very well on Veterans Day. I really don't do well on Memorial Day or July 4th. In fact, Connie has always been very careful to make sure that no one tries to plan anything for me or around me. And she always tries to be a little more attentive for me on these days. Because on those days, I think of all the friends that I knew and the countless others that I never knew who gave their lives for something bigger than themselves. Would I have preferred they lived? Of course I would. But in the end, I have to thank God that they were willing to give their lives. Some of the lives of my friends, their deaths were simply pointless and they're harder to reflect on than others. But for me, every death helps me understand and move to a place that is much, much deeper that I I can barely touch of just what our Lord did for us in his example and what it really means. In order to have life, it takes a purpose-driven death. When we say that we have surrendered our lives to Christ, we can think of it in only two ways. We surrendered without any intention or understanding that it may mean our lives are being held accountable even in this very moment in time. I imagine if we presented the gospel in this way, come join the church so that you can be martyred this afternoon, we wouldn't have many takers. The other way you could understand it is that you surrendered your life so that you might be martyred. I have to admit, I was the former I saw the church growing up and when I came to Christ as some sort of flowery, beautiful place where God is love. I understood what Jesus did on the cross and that I needed a savior, but the very idea that if I'm surrendering my life and giving it to God, that it no longer mattered. It only mattered what was in me that was Christ in me. I'm not sure I would have signed up for the gig. Perhaps this is just kind of too morbid a sermon for some of you on this day that we're celebrating a a joyous occasion and bringing one of the newest priests in God's holy Catholic, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it is. This is a celebration. When anyone comes to Christ, even when it means death is inevitable, it's still a joy. And don't think for a moment it's not happening. In and around the world, we know what is going on. You know my association with the Church of Nigeria and the number of people who give up their lives daily in places where Christianity is is eradicated through the slicing of a neck. But I also don't want anyone to understand that while we are celebrating this, this day is not about life. It's about death. You see, in a few moments, Chewie's going to lay down on the floor. When he lays down, it's going to be a visible reminder to you and I as mortals that from dust we came and from dust we will return. It's also going to remind Chewie of his baptism, his spiritual death. Did you know that? When you were baptized, 
It's spiritual circumcision. The soul is taken to death and resurrected in fellowship with the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit being placed in you. By the way, the church has believed that since the time of the apostles. And if you come from a church tradition that doesn't believe that, I promise you, they don't understand that giving your life to Christ means giving your life over to death so that you might live. He'll be laying there to remind us that Jesus was not only died, but he was resurrected so that you and I have hope. He will lay on the floor to remind us of those three things. You know, the theologian and church father, Tertullian, was the first to use the word ordination. It literally means to put things in order. I think you probably could have figured that one out. But where he pulled it from was from the Roman hierarchy. And order, or ordo, was primarily meant to take and suppress those who were less than the aristocracy. And the order was built from the top down. When Tertullian used the phrase... In the case of the church to the priest to tend the flock, he initially had this vision that he was creating a class of individual that would oversee a church body in a position of authority, but soon came to realize and write and understand that he is moving to the lowest, deadliest place of the order. What we will see here today is the full surrender of Chewy's life to Christ, being brought into Christ's death so that life can be proclaimed. To answer the call to be a priest comes at a cost. It's not easy. But the rewards are out of this world. Now, I mean no disrespect to Pastor Warren, but we can't even begin to understand life unless you and I give ourselves over to a purpose-driven death. Until we are to come to the point that we realize our lives are meaningless. As the writer of the Song of Solomon says, Woe is me. I am undone. I am nothing. Until we understand that until we have fully surrendered and said, My life is not my own. You and I have no value apart from the God who made us. You and I have no place apart from his spirit who indwells us. You and I have no life if not for the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, take up our cross, take up our cross. Do you hear what that says? The assumption is, is that we have died and we are picking it up, that death, and following Christ. Have you died? Have you turned your life over? Have you? We're going to watch Chewy do that. You're going to see death right before your very eyes. And you're going to be able to look at it and know in a few years more life is going to come out of it than we could have ever imagined. In the name of the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
the purpose of Christ's death, the purpose of our surrendering our lives even to death, the purpose of answering a call to be willing to lay down one's life. The very purpose of this life is to die with Christ so that we might live. Do we believe that? If so, let's stand and say together the Nicene Creed.